0: Welcome to Fresh Pressed for April 14th of the year 2020 of our Lord. My name is Gabe.
1: And I'm Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and Nope, lost it.
0: Renewed grooves, maybe, or Yeah, that was probably what I had. Reborn grooves or I really renewed works well because it kind of echoes that parallelism of the new tunes.
1: Yes, you're right, Gabe. That's what I should have said. But instead, I fell asleep on the couch and just woke up in time for this recording.
0: Not to worry. Uh, happy, <laughs> happy Easter, Andrew. Happy belated Easter uh, to our listeners. Uh, happy Passover, folks. These are, you know, holidays all about uh, renewal and rebirth and springtime. It's harvest festival season and uh, all the flowers are blooming, Andrew. Is
1: it harvest festival season? I thought that was the fall when when you would harvest. Uh,
0: Passover is one of the three harvest festivals. Oh, look, seasons work differently in the Mediterranean. Okay, it's more like planting, I suppose. It's planting time. Start your vegetable garden early. Yeah, folks. it's sort of the opposite of harvesting. Sure, uh, is planting the opposite of harvesting? Yes. Yeah, it is. Hmm. Really is. It's just <laughs> it sure is. just. Just the pure uh, uh, opposition. Uh, what's the theme? <laughs> so, as I've been alluding to, uh, the theme for this particular podcast is renewal slash rebirth. Specifically that way, because Andrew liked the formatting when I suggested it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if I really followed the theme, honestly. I, I only sort of did.
0: Um. Yeah, so I was looking at the song. Andrew... Isn't your song the opposite? Isn't it about death? Your song is well, definitely about death.
1: Yes. It is, it's, it's 100% about death, but it's also about rebirth. The piece of music that I have chosen to bring uh, this week is the final movement, uh, the In Paradisum of Maurice Duraflay's Requiem Mass. So, I am not sure how deep we want to go, or you want me to go, into <laughs> explaining what a Requiem is,
0: things about this Requiem, what the sum is. Um, I think we should go full music nerd on this one. Um, I was looking up a number of things and learned some great fun facts about this particular uh, element of a Requiem.
1: Great. Anyway, so a Requiem is a kind of mass. What's a mass, you say? Well, that one I think you should know.
0: It is Easter. Well, it was Easter. (laughs) It's both. Wow, it's both.
1: What was I saying? A mass. A mass is a um, Catholic service,
0: right? Right. It has some normal parts to it that are in every mass, right?
1: Yes. You can take those parts and set them say take the text of those parts and set them to music in fact they're already sort of set to music in that they all have gregorian chant that they are connected to but um, you can also put your own music into it or adapt the gregorian chant into your own music whatever this is a lot of stuff to say that anyway you can also set the mass to music which people have done since i was gonna say time immemorial that's not correct
0: <laughs> well so actually on the subject of when this first began being set to music, when did the mass get translated into Gregorian chant?
1: The thing about, the thing about um, chant, uh, you can't really pin down exactly when it was invented because it was invented like when, the, when any of the text that is set to chant was invented because uh, when you have a bunch of monks who are supposed to memorize everything and be able to just recite like, all of like, the sacred text, then the easiest way to for them to remember that is if you set it to music and if you set it to something simple like Gregorian chant:
0: So perhaps a better question is when did the Gregorian chant become standardized for masses? right when did there become one chant?
1: Yeah, so Gregorian chant is like is is this particular body of chant, right? That's around. I want to say 8th or ninth. I should look this up, right? I should be looking at reference documents to make sure that I'm saying this correctly. But my guess is ninth century. Okay.
0: Seems reasonable.
1: But, like, again, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like someone was like, here's, here's the book that I've published called Gregorian chant, all of it. Right. Anyway, so that's why there's music for the Mass. It's so that you can remember the words. Makes sense. Now, the Requiem Mass is a particular kind of mass um, with particular text, and it is uh, the one that you say when someone dies. Sure. That's the one if you're having a funeral service. That's the mass that you're doing. Um, You're not doing the normal mass. You have to do the special one for dead people.
0: Uh, Does the Gregorian chant change between the standard Catholic Mass and the Requiem Mass? Or are there only certain elements added or subtracted?
1: It's the latter. There are certain elements added and, and subtracted. Uh, what's called the ordinary of the mass, which is uh, sounds like I'm making that up, but that, but it is actually what that's called. Um, the ordinary is like the five main movements. So the Requiem Mass has most of those, not all of those, parts of those, and then it has some other specific things that are specifically about death, so that that's what you're uh focused on. It has the Kyrie, because that one's just like, Lord have mercy. The Sanctus is in there. Um And then there's the Agnus day, which is changed slightly, because normally it, normally it's it's have mercy on us, and this this time it's like, grant them rest, because you're talking about dead people, right? Sure, Instead right. Instead of just in general. You take out the glory, you take out the credo, because they're pretty long-winded um and you want to talk more about dead people and so there's a bunch of there's a bunch of dead people sections anyway so that brings us to the end of the requiem mass at which point there are some additional movements that you may wish to include in your mass generally you might choose one or both of these last two movements and they have sort of different Vibes. So the last two movements are the Liberame, which is uh like free me.
0: I feel like that's the one I'm familiar with. Would that make sense? Is that more common? Is that the one that Mozart did?
1: That's the one that Mozart did, is why you're familiar with that one.
0: Yeah, okay, that checks out.
1: (laughs) So that this ties into it. So an easy way to remember these two movements is the Liberame is like I'm afraid of death. So if your mass is all about how you're afraid of death, you should definitely include that one. And you probably should include the other one. That's why Mozart was like, I'm afraid of death, as you can tell from his entire uh, Requiem, right? Like, you know, you've sung, Gabe. You've sung it. I have sung the Mozart Requiem, yes. People who have not sung it are still... I'm 100% certain that they're familiar with certain movements of it. And the, the, like, greatest hits of Mozart's Requiem are the ones where he's super scared of death. So, like, there's the Lacrimosa, which is the crying one, uh, which... I guarantee everyone listening to this podcast has heard at least four times in a movie or TV show, whether yeah. you know it or not. Yes,
0: no, that's absolutely true.
1: anyway um so there's the liberame that's the one that's like i'm scared of death i'm scared of judgment day please save me god oh fuck and then there's the in paradisum which is the much nicer one which actually doesn't mention death at all it just is about what happens when you get to heaven which is really nice it's good things happen then
0: isn't that cool so cool
1: Now, what's interesting, or isn't interesting, but is interesting to me. <laughs> what's interesting to me is that traditionally, uh, that is outside of like a musical composition of the mass. The liberame is sung last, like literally as you're burying the person. Like there, this is like the, the part where you bury someone. And the In Paradisum is sung before that when you're taking the body out of the church. Okay. Um, it's, it's like a processional, like as, as you are exiting the church with the body. Okay. Um, but generally, if you put both of them in your mass setting, then you swap those. And I think that's because the Liberame is like, oh, fuck, oh, shit. Oh, shit, I don't want to die. And then the In Paradisum is like, okay, but heaven's cool. And you don't want to end on that one. And you don't want to end on the oh fuck one.
0: Yeah, a little optimism to end your death mass is always good.
1: And I mean, it's just weird to like have optimism as the second to last thing. And then have the last thing be like, fuck, 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 fuck. You know, it's not a good ending (laughs) to a piece. You
0: know, know, maybe you should write a requiem, but do the English vernacular version of it.
1: (laughs) Let's, uh, that's, okay, so that's an explanation of what the mass is. That's where the in-piritism is. I should explain what the in-piritism says. In-piritism says, uh, it's just like, uh, it's a benediction, basically. It's, may the angels lead you into paradise. May the martyrs receive you at your coming and lead you to the holy city of Jerusalem. May the choir of angels receive you and may, like Lazarus, who was poor, may you have eternal rest. So that's what the impardiesum is. Now, uh, the specific setting that I'm talking about is one by Maurice Durufle, who was a French composer uh, in the 20th century. So he this was published in
0: 1948. Wait, before we move on to Durufle, can we talk about something cool about the impardiesum that I learned? Oh, sure. The opening. Four notes to Im Pardisim are also, from the mm-hmm. Gregorian chant, are also the opening yeah. notes to When the Saints Go Marching In. Yes. Which makes a lot of sense if you think about when that would have been sung.
1: <laughs> and the topic, the topic of When the Saints Go Marching In.
0: And the processional aspect of it and all of the above. So that is very, very cool. Yeah. Anyway, yes, Durfle.
1: Yes, Durafle. So uh, Durafle, composer, French. That's all you need to know. Uh, 1948 is when this Requiem was composed. And this is definitely one of my favorite Requiems. It's really, really gorgeous. It's for uh, choir and organ, or you can do orchestra with organ. I think it's better with just the organ.
0: Yeah, I mean, this recording is sweet with just the organ.
1: So, one of the things about this mass is that... I was going to say it's not complicated. There are parts that are pretty fucking complicated. But most of the vocal lines are pretty heavily based on the Gregorian chant. So, while there is some new composition for the voices, it's, it's, it's mostly centered around the Gregorian chant. Then the uh, organ part is, is really beautiful and really interesting. So, I would highly recommend you uh listen to it and and pay close attention to uh the way that the organ sort of fills out all of the space as the choir is singing more simple lines. This impardisum is split into two sections. The first section is uh the choir is singing just the the melody it's actually just the sopranos it's not the whole choir, so just a quarter of the choir, the highest voices sings the the Gregorian chant melody. In generally the Gregorian chant rhythm, too
0: yeah, it sounds very traditional
1: yeah, I mean it's you know it's the lines are split up a little bit there's there's some leeway done with that, but the notes are the same, and the general sense of the of the cadence of the rhythm is is the same. Meanwhile, the organ is is playing a lot of like shimmery chords, just like building things very slowly, and then has some nice like little counter melodies between the lines that are beautiful, and that's my favorite part of this whole Requiem, is all of those, like, counter-melodies that the organ plays while the choir is singing uh, the chant melodies. So we get all the way through the first uh, half of the Empire, do assume, through um, the holy city of Jerusalem. And then what happens is the organ is still doing some big chords, but then uh, there's also a high melody... On one of the manuals, that's the hand keyboards, as opposed to the pedals, the foot keyboard. Uh, there's a high melody, and that's now the melody from the Gregorian chant. So right before the choir comes in with chorus angelorum, that's the choir of angels. The organ plays the melody of that. Was the do 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 do. Um, you can tell that I just woke up, and uh, <laughs> and then the choir comes in with this absolutely incredible chordal setting, like as opposed to melodic setting of that second half of the the in-party soon. So it starts with this big open fifth on Chorus, which is just like, it just gives you chills. I mean, it gives me chills. I don't know if it gives you chills. No, But I feel like it should.
0: Uh, I (laughs) Yes, it does. Even by itself. Although I think with a lot of these ending numbers to a mass like this. (laughs) I would call it a movement. Yeah, sure. I mean, it is Um, numbered. It's worthless. I think there's a lot to be said for listening to it in its location it's temporal location in the mass itself
1: this is my favorite moment in this mass is when the full choir comes in playing the role of the choir of angels right right the organ takes over that melody and then the choir comes in and just sort of envelops you in this beautiful sound so it opens it starts with that big open fifth which you don't have to know what that means it just means it's it's big and open there's a lot of space and then it like fills in the part split. So there's multiple uh, voices in each part. It's as many, you know, as many as like eight notes at the same time um, and just fills in and gets so so warm and beautiful and just like envelops you in this piece. And I mean, the idea is that this is, you're entering into, into paradise, into heaven.
0: Truly gorgeous. I've sung a few different requiems. Um, we sung the foray as well in high school together. This is such a gorgeous take on it. And one of the things I like about these standard masses and standardized pieces of music in the classical world is is hearing each composer present their own take on what is a very constant theme. And as we talked about at the beginning of the segment, the Gregorian chant, the plain chant that this is based off of, dates back probably over a millennium before this was composed.
1: There's one more thing that I want to say about this movement. So the last line is like, uh, like Lazarus, who was, who was once poor, um, may you have eternal rest. It's phrased sort of like that. I mean, sort of in that way uh, in the Latin. And I just think this is so beautiful, the way that he sets this. The Sopranos, which is the topmost voice, are pretty low in their range. They're not doing something like crazy high to like symbolize going up into heaven. You know, this is just, this is rest. So we don't need to do all that like sky high stuff because that's done. We're just we're just uh, settling into this eternal rest. So the Sopranos have a total of two notes. They start on one note for A, and then on Ter of A they go down one one step to the to the note below, and then they stay on that note for the rest of the whole thing. It's this really strong constant which makes it feel restful. I think the very last. Uh, three chords or f- four chords actually just the word requiem the first note of the word requiem is sort of floating in space and then it has this deep sigh on the second uh chord as as the bass part like steps down and also the uh organ part changes that it steps down another time for the qui of requiem and then it steps down finally into its very last chord uh, with the M, uh, and just feels like a, f- a very final release to me that is just so unbelievably gorgeous. So I have I have the score with me here, and I don't remember where I found this note, but at some point when I was working on this piece, w- when I was uh, conducting this piece for, for a seminar, just this last movement, uh, I have a quote here from Duraflay. Uh, that says this is, uh, quote, the ultimate answer of faith to all the questions. All right, Gabe, so now we've gone into we've died and gone to heaven, which is enough of a rebirth for my purposes for this podcast. But how about you? How about you uplift us with with a story of renewal?
0: I thought I would bring, you know, a song that really strikes at the positivity that we feel when spring hits. Um, This is. The First Day of Spring from Noah and the Whale's album of the same title. It's the first day of spring And my life is starting over again uh, okay, so No and the Whale, though, there were a band, no longer, were a band from Twickenham, which is uh, London, pretty much, and they made music from like 2006 to 2013, which, if you were listening to music during that time, you probably ran across some of their music. Maybe this album, which uh, is their second of four, and probably their best, although, Andrew, are you a No and the Whale person? You listen to a lot of No and the Whale? You listen to this album.
1: I've listened to this song. Actually, is on a mixtape that my ex girlfriend made for me. One of one of several mix CDs that my ex girlfriend made for me. It
0: was this a mix CD that uh, she gave you when you guys were breaking up? Because
1: no, it was. I mean, it was. I don't remember which one it was on, but I don't think she gave me any of them when we were breaking up.
0: Because this is a breakup song. For a breakup hey, album.
1: we both really liked a lot of sad music, so our mixed <laughs> mixed CDs that we made for
0: one another were not <laughs> like <laughs>
1: we're not messages
0: to one another. Let's say that. Okay. All right. Nothing so uh, direct then. Yeah. So this song, this is a great, a great breakup song from the you know like pretty classic late two thousands indie rock. The reason I thought about this song in context of our theme, though, is, Andrew, we were discussing the Airborne Toxic event a couple <laughs> weeks ago, <laughs> and their song, Sometime Around Midnight, which is also a breakup song that also features some great strings. Uh, the Airborne Toxic event is more cello-oriented than No and the Whale, who have Tom Hobden playing a wonderful violin. Like a cut-down tree. I'll rise again and I'll be bigger and stronger than ever before. I'm still here hoping that one day you may come back. The Know and the Whale, and this song also fits in well with other things that are happening this week, Andrew. Why? The breakup that this al this this album and this song are are making music about is the lead singer of Knowing the Whale, which is Charlie Fink mm-hmm. and his ex Laura Marling. Oh who just released this week an exquisite record that I very nearly brought for the new music I was gonna bring this week and <laughs> uh but thought about maybe this could be an opportunity to talk about her as well yeah the record that she released this week it has nothing to do with charlie fink right this is a decade ago now everybody's over it probably but uh, she is a great independent uh like kind of folk british folk artist indie folk music um and her record from this week which is song for our da- daughter is well worth a listen um uh, definitely one of the finer albums of the year so far for me.
1: And that's not about her daughter with with Noah and the whale. with, is the, the, is with she... the
0: whale, her daughter with the whale? Um, no, I, <laughs> I think I think they I think she's only 30 now, so this breakup would have happened when they were their late teens. <laughs> if I'm doing the math, right? Wait, what? Yeah, I think Laura Marling is like 30. Um, Andrew, I really love the imagery in this song, uh, which does fit in with the theme of spring and with renewal. Um, Fink uses a lot of, you know, like nature metaphors for, like, starting fresh. Yeah. Which is very appropriate. The best part of this song to me, though, is the interplay between the drums and the violin there are these really big booming kind of bassy drums that I know in the way I'll um, and the whale use and then the violin, which um plays a pretty simple set of like counter melodies until it really takes over at the end of the song in like a big cathartic wash of sounds, and in that instance, I think the violin is basically taking over. For the vocal lines. These are vocals that, you know, a vocalist cannot hit these notes, or most vocalists cannot hit these notes.
1: Certainly Charlie Fink can't hit these notes.
0: No, de- definitely not. The Sometimes when we think about playing melodies on a violin, we think about them in terms of vocal lines, and using the violin bow as the breath, and the vibrato of a violin translating into the vibrato of a singer's voice, and basically uh, I think indicating, to some degree, what instruments are for, which is creating sounds that we cannot create with our own bodies as human beings. In case you're worried about Charlie Fink, since you know devastating breakup and his ex is now marvelously successful and his band broke up, I just want to tell you, Andrew, mm-hmm. and listeners, that not to fear, for he has become a successful composer for London Theatre huh. and the West End. He's done a few different musicals, including The Lorax. So, Andrew. Yes. We've left spring behind, and we've moved on to new things, such as the new song you brought wow what a terrible segue
1: yeah really bad because it's still i mean like if anything we're getting closer to spring the song that i have brought for today's episode of fresh press right is entitled absurdity by trace mountains
0: the absurdity
1: Um, I think I mentioned Trace Mountains uh, at some point in the last couple months because he's been, you know, putting out singles ahead of this album. Um, This is off of his new album, first album as Trace Mountains, entitled Lost in the Country. So Trace Mountains is the uh, solo project of Dave Benton, formerly of the band uh, Level Up. That's spelled L-V-L space U-P.
0: Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah,
1: I don't, I'm, don't really know that much about Level Up, but that's who this guy is. Um, That band broke up uh, a couple years ago, and now he's doing this.
0: Yeah, this is off your favorite label. One of your favorite labels. One of
1: my favorite labels, uh, Lamo, which is a, a Philly label on which Slaughter Beach Dog is also signed. Um, So Trace Mountains is his new project, and this album is really great and all about the country. What country you say? The country.
0: This album, this may not be true, but this album feels like Dave Benton has like ended up in the woods for the first time in his life. And he's like, wow, this is crazy. Who knew all this was out here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like I didn't, hey, I didn't listen to a single note of Man of the Woods, but this is what I imagine the tone of it to be.
0: Man of the Woods, the Justin Timberlake record?
1: Yes, I don't know what that album's like, but like, I just remember him being like, this is Man of the Woods and him like with his arms out being like, I'm in the woods now. It's like, what? Dude, Justin, what are you doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how this record comes across, even though uh, I say that uh, kindly because it's really really good. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's great. But, you know, like I'm sure we'll get to it, but on this song he's like, my smartphone's buzzing in my pocket for the first time in forever. How strange! <laughs> yeah. like, Dave, have you ever been outside?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a great interplay between the like country uh, images and then like smartphones and stuff like that. He mentions Wi-Fi several times on this album. It's great.. Just another the other thing about the the setting of the country is that i feel every time he says that word country like the country and when i listen to this album i feel like he could say literally any other noun (laughs) like it could be anything else I feel like a lot of the, this song reminds me of um, friend of the pot, not friend of the pot, it's sort of weird to say, uh, Mark Linkus of Sparkle Horse. Mark Linkus, who I mentioned uh, when I was talking about Ben Saratin. this uh, Dave Benton's voice also sort of reminds me of him in the way, that, the way that he sings.
0: Yeah, I see that influence.
1: The voice is actually, the the vocals is actually one of the parts that I really enjoy about this album because it's, uh, this album and this song specifically It's mixed a couple different ways in this song There's like a more like forefront uh, Like clean Production of his voice And then in a certain part it's more Like it's more compressed There's a little bit of like tremolo on it It sounds kind of like that he's singing Over the phone mm. kind of thing And then it changes again And so that's something that I really enjoy especially the way That that interplays with The uh, instrumental Parts um, that like phone part, it ends and the, the uh, I think it, the guitar comes back in um, and it's, and that part's really like clear and, and at the forefront and it has a nice uh, dichotomy there.
0: Yeah. I was, I, I wrote down at some point also when listening to this song, great warbly guitar, which I think also uh, that's a little early in the song fits in with, um, I think that vocal aesthetic as well.
1: Yeah. Gabe, do you remember when we talked about Andy Shoff's record, Neon Skyline? Yes. One of the things that we mentioned really liking about it is on Bandcamp, you can see his uh, the way he set the lyrics, and they're sort of yes. set like in paragraphs, sort of like like they're like prose poems, right? Yes. Um, something that I like about this album, and you can really tell through the way that he sings the lyrics, is that if you look at it, it's just like a run on no-punctuation, Cormac McCarthy-ass stream of consciousness.
0: Yeah, it, Cormac McCarthy in more than just the no-punctuation way. Also, the run-on sentences and also the... Well, Cormac McCarthy likes to write about the country, too.
1: Yeah, although I feel like Cormac McCarthy... I don't know. Let's, let's put that aside. But the point is, um, <laughs> I, I, I love how he writes out. Just, it's just like every single song is just completely just one paragraph stream of consciousness no no period which is pretty cool
0: maybe the artist's way of thinking of his lyrics
1: yeah i mean and i think that's that's definitely an intentional choice i've seen it mentioned um in a lot of write-ups about this album that his uh lyrical writing is very uh kurt vile ask another philly musician who's known for uh, that sort of stream of consciousness thing. that this is a lot more like the setting of this. The musical setting is is different from Kurt Vile. It's a lot more bulky, but sort of that that approach to writing lyrics is is really interesting to me. I I just like the the different sections that this song goes through. It has sort of one vibe at the beginning, and then the it's really the the percussion that drives drives the switch into the second like the second and third thirds of the song which have a sort of different vibe. And it makes the feel, song feel like longer than it actually is, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I really like this song. I really like this album. And um, we say this quite often, but I, we'll continue to repeat it. Worth a listen in its entirety. Absolutely. Standing in the country hey, hey.
1: Gabe, what, uh, new track do you have for me this week that I've never heard of? Who the fuck is this?
0: This is Long Neck, uh, and her second record, World's Strongest Dog, this is the song Cicada. She dug her nails into the bowl.
1: I gotta say, the name Long Neck and the album title World's Strongest Dog are pretty fucking great.
0: Oh, what a pairing, right? <laughs> what a pairing. Oh, man. World's Strongest Dog is just, it's so much imagery. <laughs> to be honest, though, I picture Corgi when I think of World's Strongest Dog, which... Maybe that's not right. Oh, really? Like, I imagine that. I'm not like, picking like a Mastiff or anything like that. No, I'm picturing a small little dog that's just beefy as hell.
1: I imagine that like, um, <laughs> I think it's a, orig- it's like a, it's like a spam ad, like has science gone too far and has like a really muscular dog. In it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 It's,
0: it's... Anyway, long neck. Uh, Long Neck is, is is fronted by uh Lily Demos, who sings and writes all of the songs. Um she does have a band that is consistent, um, but on the band camp it says that Long Neck is Lily Master I sometimes I don't always understand where the band begins and ends and where the artist begins and ends and the individual. anyway. So the other artists or the other musicians are John Ambrosio, Kevin Kim and Alex Mercury. So, as we were discussing why, why Longneck, so I found an interview of hers with um the, the Daily Tar Heel, which is the publication of uh the Rival University to mine that I went to. Um and apparently she was stoned and watching wait
1: uh, wait don't say it yet can i can i guess what it is yeah, this is what popped in my head when you said long neck the first time is this a reference to the land before time
0: absolutely yes dead on uh right so she's watching <laughs> the land before time because uh in her words she fucking loves dinosaurs and long neck isn't a character from the Land Before Time, but could be a character from the Land Before Time, where all the dinosaurs are kind of named after their physical characteristics? Isn't Long Neck the, what they call, like, the Brontosaurus? Oh, maybe that's right. So or not a specific character, but... Hey, which one's uh, the real
1: one? One of them's real, and then one of them's the same thing, but someone's like, hey, here's my new thing.
0: There are both Brontosauruses and Apatosaurus. They... Thought that the brontosaurus was just an apatosaurus, but then they also discovered that Brontosauruses are also their own separate species of dinosaur. So you're not wrong. you say brontosaurus. How cool! Well, is that?
1: I was wrong when I said that they were wrong.
0: Sure, but you were you you had timidity behind that. You weren't really like outrageously wrong. Uh, you weren't just asserting that something. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair. I I love the. She just really leaned into the Dinosaurs Are Dope, and I'm going to name my new musical project after The Land Before Time. That's a really cool take. And then also the album's title, The World's Strongest Dog, which we've talked about already, but just worth another another highlight. She used to be, Lily Mastodemus used to be in the band called Jawbreaker Reunion.
1: That's also a good band name.
0: Uh, yeah, which I'm pointing out not because I've listened to any of that music, but because, great band name. The other uh, biographical note, I suppose, on Long Neck, the band, is that they're from New Jersey, which, honestly, if you just listened to their music, you knew that they were from New Jersey. Yeah, you didn't yeah. even have to listen to the lyrics. You could just listen to like the the vocal style and the music style, and you're like, oh, this is such a New Jersey band classic. <laughs> I picked this song because... It's great, Um, but for two really specific uh, moments in the song. One is, I guess kind of at the beginning of the second verse, and then she does it uh, again later. Maybe it's more of a chorus. I don't know. Uh, I guess it's more of a chorus. She sings the words disconnected imagery, but she really, really holds out the S in disconnected. It could be a cool play on, like, Dis isn't disrespectful but also dis isn't disconnected and kind of breaking them up but also it just is a very interesting vocal effect and something that i like in general about this song and the entire album is master demos has a, a really assertive like rhythmic vocal style that's a little off kilter from i think the norm and that's intriguing and Perfectly highlighted in the way she sings disconnected in this song.
1: It's connected imagery and a troubled frequency. I want to write about every color I've seen. By, by the
0: ivy, cicada, lack of locust tree. The other note that I have about this song is there is an amazing unison guitar and vocal section uh, like halfway through the song when she sings and and the lyrics are also great. I've reached the stage where I want to explain myself in a spotlight in my mind and the audience is silent and so am I. So I hear myself apologize because it can be exhausting to be standing by my side.
1: Yeah, damn. I do really love the lyrics in this in this song right before that section in, a, I guess it's the chorus. Um, she's so like, I want to write about every color I've seen bike reclaimed by the Ivy cicada attached to a locust tree, which are two disconnected images, but really powerful images individually and also feel very Jersey to me.
0: <laughs> oh, so Jersey. Oh my God. Cicadas and I, yeah. Wow. Uh, I think the idea, and maybe this isn't what she's going for, but also maybe it is, um the idea of thinking of a bike reclaimed by ivy as a color yeah is a cool thought maybe this song feels so jersey to me because this song cicada it feels like a uh, a great song to like yell sing <laughs> while drunk <laughs> at a bar with your friends like, wow it's like 1am
1: big dunk on jersey here <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this song comes up. look maybe it's just uh I haven't been to a bar in months not that that's something I do often, but I don't even have the option right now I reached the stage right Andrew. Yeah. Any other music that you'd like to point out this week that our listeners should be aware of? There's actually a ton. I wondered if you wanted to do a, a rapid fire. Yeah, let's do it. I have I have a number of things. Be first, uh, okay. <laughs> I mentioned it earlier. Song for our daughter from Laura Marling. Listen to it. It's so good and remember that she broke Charlie Fink's heart and he probably deserved it.
1: That fucker. There is also a new single from Phoebe Bridgers, which I fucking adore. The main reason I didn't pick it. I mean, other than the fact that I there was a lot of other good music to listen to. I was like, well, she's putting out an album, so I can wait for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. June 20th, I believe, is her album release date, which is still a couple months away. But we'll get there. And holy shit. Did you see her rendition of it on uh, one of the late shows?
1: Her, her, her yeah it was, it was for jimmy kimmel it was in the bathtub with like a little whatever the fuck that thing was yeah it was great great it's about about parents and how much they suck which is not something that i in like personally have anything in common with but uh i enjoy listening to phoebe bridger singing about it
0: yeah she does sing about that occasionally and uh no your parents are great we love your parents Hamilton Lighthouser, um, formerly frontman of The Walkmen, released a, a solo record called The Loves of Your Life, which has some absolutely perfect songs on it. Like, just so good. Very Came also very close to picking something off that.
1: Why uh, Bonnie, W-H-Y Bonnie. Um, you put out a album, EP, short album. Um, I don't know what they're calling it, but uh, it's really good. There's a lot of good tracks on there. I almost picked the track No Caves. If you liked Snarls from uh, f- several weeks ago uh, was, was my new tune pick, uh, you would like Why Bonnie, so check them out.
0: Um, and, Andrew, of course, we have to talk a little bit about the Strokes album that was released. Yep, it was released. It was released, and it had some really good stuff on it and some really not good stuff on it is how I feel about it.
1: Yeah, this was actually its a good comparison from last week when we were talking about, was that just last week? Yeah, it was last week. We were talking about um, good use of autotune. and mm-hmm. there's some tracks on this Strokes album that I would classify as bad use of auto tune.
0: Uh, Julian still needs to just use his falsetto very sparingly. Any song that he uses a lot of falsetto on, I'm like, this is bad. Yeah, that's okay. But the first, the first song off the album, which wasn't released as a single, is "The Adults Are Talking," and it's so good. It's very good, and it got me so excited for the rest of the album, which then mostly let me down.
1: Yeah. Starfucker had a great album. Starfucker spelled S T R F K R. There's a new track and remix from Local Dialect, which is uh my brother's group. Um it's very good. It's called Perseus and then they have a remix of someone else's track called Float. I don't know if it's supposed to be F L O T E and be like the word float like to float or if it's they supposed to be an umlaut over it, is supposed to be Flöte, like flute in German. It's probably just supposed to be float like a weird thing. I prefer the way my brother titles things, which is with like mythology. So Perseus.
0: Um, Andrew, there is one more song that we are obligated to mention this week, but also that I want to mention because I think it's great. Yeah. Our wonderful friend and accomplished artist, um, and Terry,
1: friend of the pod. Can we say friend of the pod oh, for this one?
0: Yes, has been on the pod. will definitely be on the pod again. Soon. Um, Soraya Perry has released a new song and accompanying video that she shot and edited titled Like Water. We will drop the full YouTube link in the show notes.
1: It's also now on Spotify. I literally just checked just a second. It is now on Spotify and I assume other streaming sites.
0: Cool. I'll drop it into the Spotify playlist and um, I'm also going to play a little of it right now, provided I get her permission.
1: There was one more release, and by one more, I actually mean three more, and by three more, I sort of mean a hundred and eighty more.
0: How could I have forgotten sort of
1: sort of mirroring the strokes release in sort of a titan of industry from from maybe a blast from the past for some folks, but for others of us, we've been following their career with with great interest uh, continuously. There is a huge drop of three uh, compilation albums from the artist formerly and currently known as Strong Bad. (laughs) Now, if you are in our age bracket, you will definitely know. I think very specifically. (laughs) If if you're not, then you will know no fucking clue what I'm talking about. If you are in our age bracket, you will know Strong Bad as uh, one of the major characters of the Flash website HomestarRunner.com, which had a lot of of tunes uh, that were um honestly pretty pretty incredibly well produced and put together with a lot of heart and uh humor behind them from uh as they're known the brothers chaps and so they released this big like three a three part compilation album of just songs and like little i would call these some of these ditties um just little nothings that they had had recorded over the many years of, of their website. And there's still more that they're probably going to release. They said they're going to put out like individual releases for all of the fictional bands that they created during the course of the <laughs> website. So there's like going to be a sloshy release. There's going to be a separate limousine release. You know, my brother and I had or have, I guess it's still somewhere, the CD um, that they put out a long time ago called strong, bad Sings and other type hits. Wow. Yeah. Which is great is more of, like a, uh, more of an album in that it's like all full songs, whereas this is like 60 tracks per album, and some of them are like four seconds long. They're all still great. Yeah, so this, this is really great, and I recommend you listen to all of it. It'll only take you like an hour and a half to listen to 180 tracks, and <laughs> they're fucking incredible. The uh, subtitle of these, it's called Homestar Runner Original Soundtrack Volumes 1 through 3, and the subtitle is Songs, Background Music, Jingles, and Worse yeah check them out website still works some of it you have to enable flash which I cannot in good conscience recommend but <laughs> but some of it they're trying to they're trying to like transfer over to the 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 modern internet so
0: yes oh, oh I like that oh yeah come to the place where tropical breezes blow come to the
1: so what i'm saying here is if this is a this is an open letter if strong bad if you want to come on our podcast um <laughs> we would love to interview you about this music other music your career your interests your feelings your emotions your height your weight your phone number, your social security number, your mother's maiden name, all those, you know, all those things that, that friends discuss and and trade with one another. We'd love to have you on here. So, yeah, if anyone knows Strong Bad and can get him on our podcast, that would be great. Gabe, I'm I'm hoping you'll jump in here and 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 cut me off from rambling.
0: Right. So, if you uh do know Strong Bad, you should have strong bad contact us probably via Twitter at fresh press pod, where you can also follow us. You could also tell strong bad to go look at our Spotify playlist of all the tracks we have featured on this show, which may even include one of strong bad's tracks this week. Um, that's in the show notes otherwise strong bad you can find us next week on tuesday april 21st back here at the same podcasting place that you always get your podcasts (laughs) and for now i'm gabe i'm andrew and you have been listening to fresh press